Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mailbag. It's another nothing personal mailbag. Thanks for staying with me. So many great questions have come our way. Coca has themed some mailbags. This is more of a longer questions on these on this mailbag, sort of an advice mailbag. I think you're going to enjoy it. There's so many people out there who are wondering about so many different topics, and I love that you give me the opportunity to talk about them. And I just want to start because this is a busy one. Good morning, David. I don't know how you know it's morning, but good morning. Not sure if this counts as a so you want to talk to Samson question or a mailbag question, but here it goes. I love that you listen to the show and that you know the difference. So you want to talk to Samson is during the show, a regular nothing personal episode. Mailbag is this. All questions all the time. In August of 2020, I graduated with a master's degree in data. And after nine months of searching for a position, I finally found a paid internship in the field for my career. It was a temporary hire with the possibility of a full-time hire. I knew the risk, but still took it. I started on May 10th of 21, and today I got the bad news that the internship had been canceled and I lost the position. Any advice on how to handle this and what to say to increase my chance of getting hired with another company? Thank you for reaching out. I appreciate that. So that's part of COVID, right? Where people are losing their jobs. Ironically now though, everywhere I look, there are help wanted signs. It may not be in the area that you wanna work, but if you need to work, there are places to work. You may think it's better to be paid by the government, that you're making more money that way, that it's not worth it to work. It's a pain in the neck to work. It's not what I wanna be doing. I need to start doing now what I wanna be doing in five or 10 years. And that is absolute crap. You wanna avoid resume gaps. And when you're not working, you are creating a resume gap. Resume gap is when you send your resume to someone and it says worked at X company from 2020 to 2021, let's say 2016 to 2017, worked at Y company from 2019 to 2020. Well, what the hell happened between 17 and 19? What'd you do? You better have a story and it better be a good one. You want to know what to say to increase your chance of getting hired with another company, first write down in three concise sentences what you did at that internship, and then create the story for why you are not there, why you lost your position. You have the benefit of saying, hey, we got the verb COVIDed. COVID is when something happens to you because of COVID, because of the pandemic, you get an automatic pass. You don't get a pass for the gap. You get a pass for what happened that caused the break in the employment from that particular company. So the first thing you have to do is come up with three sentences that properly describe what you did for that company and make it interesting. 
it doesn't matter to me what job you actually have. I can make a toll booth collector sound interesting. My job was to engage with drivers as they pass through Interstate 95, guaranteeing quick passage and correct change. I was the second most efficient toll booth collector with an average stop time of seven seconds. That's toll booth collector. Or if you're not paying attention and you don't care, you put toll booth collector. I sat there on my phone while I took $10 bills and gave back $8.20 to people time and time again. Nope. You've got to make it so you've got transferable skills. You're a toll booth collector, you're good at math. You're a toll booth collector, you're a people person. You're a toll booth collector, you are disciplined enough to sit at your desk for hours at a time. That as a person who hires is what I would take away from a toll booth collector who shows me in his or her, their resume, what they did, who took the time to put it and frame it in a way that tells me something about themselves. When you look at your resume, when you are talking to someone about yourself, you've got to give the person who you are talking to walkaway points. Walkaway points are things when they turn their back, they have a kernel of a nugget of a thought of something that you have done or said that they're going to remember. If you give someone one walkaway point, you have succeeded. That walkaway point means that they're going to remember you. So the next time you talk to them, the next time they see your name, the next time they come across you, you will be able to converse with them and bring them back to that moment because they had a walkaway point. If you don't know how to get a walkaway point, I got a word of advice for you. Find out during the course of a conversation what's interesting to the person with whom you are talking, not what is interesting to you. If that person is in the theater world, talk about theater. Talk about, if you know nothing about theater, you say, listen, I want to know what is your favorite play because I want to read it and see it. What is your favorite musical? I want to listen to the music. What is your favorite theater? People like talking about themselves and their experiences and flexing. They do it all the time. And if you want to work for people, if you want to succeed, you've got to be a good listener. There's no small irony here with people who are in my life who say I'm not a good listener. Well, that's not true. I just have selective listening, which I'm not proud of, but it is true that there are times that I completely shut down, but there are other times that I'm so uber-focused that I will remember every single thing that is said, including body language, eye movement, and clothes that you are wearing, and I file it away for the next time. One of these other mailbags, I talked about what it is to have connections and what to do with connections and why connectivity matters. You have to take your internship that you had and you have to take away a few things, not just that you put on your resume, but a few talking points now. So when you are interviewing in any other industry with any other person, you are able to communicate to that person more than what's on the resume because the resume is what gets you in the door. But you're able to communicate something that you learned that will be applicable to that person who is interviewing you. You want to increase your chance of getting hired by another company? It's pretty simple to do. Please remember these words of advice when you are interviewing. Your job 
is to make the person interviewing you make their job easier. Your job is to do stuff that they don't want to do. Your job is to do stuff better than they would do it so they can take the credit for having done it. Your job is to do anything they ask of you, no matter whether you think it's in your area of interest or in your place of interest or if even the company of interest. It does not matter and should not matter as you start in your career, whether or not you are working in the company that you imagine you'd be working in or the industry you thought you'd be working in. Because your career is going to take so many turns that you have no idea where it will end. You may end up working in a complete different industry that you don't even know about right now. You may be working in a city or community that you've never heard of and never been to. How open are you? I met someone recently who wanted to go on the amazing race very badly. Asked me about my time on Survivor and I asked my usual question. It's a conversation ender when I don't want to be bothered anymore. You want to be on the amazing race? Awesome. Have you ever applied? She said, no. That was the end of the conversation. You cannot get anything in this world unless you ask for it. And you can only ask for things once. When you ask for something, when you ask for the order, when you ask for the job, when you're in an interview, you've got that one moment in time, that one moment to have and serve up a walkaway point to the person you are asking or talking to, because otherwise you will not be remembered. None of us are that extraordinary that we will be remembered just because we were there. We have to create the memory for the person interviewing you. You have to create the memory for the person you're talking with. You have to create the memory for your colleagues, for your bosses, for your family. That is what communication is. You are trying to fit something that you know or that you are saying into the brain of the other person because there'll come a time when you want to exploit that fact and you can't exploit it if the other person has no idea who you are, or what you stand for, or what you need or what you're doing. I think it is hugely important when I get these questions, people who say they're fast learners, they want to work, they want better chance of being hired. Take the first step. The first step is getting your resume out there, not just in your home city, your home state, but everywhere. Be willing to get in your car and move anywhere with one suitcase and not an idea in the world of where you'll end. The freedom, the fear that you'll feel, the freedom that you'll feel, the anxiety that you'll feel, the discomfort that you'll feel, that stomach ache that you have when I'm telling you to do this, that's what I'm looking for you to have. That stomach ache will lead to your success, I promise you. I appreciate that question. Good luck to you, by the way. Next question, Ray Business Management. How do you convince colleagues to support your management style when you are appointed to be the leader of a department or a new venture or when new employees join your company? I love this question. Thank you. Management style. When you manage people, we all manage people, right? Whether you're managing someone in your relationship, whether you're managing the relationship with your kids, your parents, your cousins, your uncles, your aunts, your colleagues, your boss, the people below you on the food chain, above you on the food chain, people on your same level. We are all managing relationships, right? That's 
if you don't realize that, then, uh, ah, you know what? Let's go to the first stage. What is your management style? Do you know? Are you self-aware enough to know the way you're perceived by others? Do you take your perception and do you make it a reality? Do you adjust your style according to the crowd that you are in? I, for one, have known my management style since I was a kid. I've always had a big mouth. I've always gotten myself into trouble, but talked my way out of it. I've always been able to convince people to do things I want them to do without them even knowing it. I've always been able to bring people right to the edge of insanity, which is all just manipulation. My management style when I was with the in baseball for all those years was to do whatever I had to do to protect the owner and do ever, whatever it is I had to do to make sure the people who worked with me, whether they were VPs, directors, managers, associates, that they had ownership. And I don't mean actual ownership. I mean mental ownership of the company in which they're working. People mistakenly say, oh, it's great to have there. What was the car company uh, so long ago that had employee ownership? And they touted that fact. I want to say Avis could have been Hertz. We're number one. There's some company I don't, you'll never find a Coca, don't bother. But there's some company that they, they thought that people worked harder when they owned it. That's why there's these employee stock plans. Do you work hard at Coca because you get stock in CBS? No. Do you think people at Morgan Stanley work harder because they're getting restricted stock at Morgan Stanley and by them working harder, the stock price is going to go up? Give me a break. People work hard because they've got pride in what they do. People work hard even when they don't like their bosses because they have a desire to further their own career. People do not have loyalty to a company the way they used to because people are changing jobs all the time. The first step to a management style is to develop your management style, to recognize your management style, and then to communicate your management style. If you don't communicate to people who work for you the way that you are going to manage them, then you're going to keep them guessing. And when people are guessing, they're not doing their job because they're too busy guessing whether or not what they're doing is what you want them to do, whether or not what they're doing and how they're doing it is the way you want them to do it. You've got to communicate exactly what you want and how you want it. That is the best management style. It's not yelling or whispering. It's not being friendly or not friendly. It's not going out for drinks or going out for drinks with the people who work for you. None of that matters. Do whatever you want. Socialize with people you work with. Just don't date them. Don't harass them. Create a workspace of inclusion, no matter what your management style is, because you can still have a workspace of inclusion when your management style is with a raised voice or losing your temper or your management style is by rolling your eyes or by giving the silent treatment to people who didn't do the job they were supposed to do. Some people's management style is to be in their office with the door closed, some with the door open. Some people like to have meetings every month. Good Some people say, I'll see you next month. Some people want to do things by phone. Some people want to do things in person. Some people have a clean desk with nothing on it. Some people have a desk so crowded, so full of papers that you can't find anything without the help of your assistant. Management styles do not make good managers. People who understand their management style and then execute their management style for the benefit of their workers and the productivity of their workers, that's what makes a good manager.
I don't ever need to convince. Your question was, how do I convince colleagues to support my management style? You've got it all wrong. I don't care if the people who work for me support my management style. I care if the people who work for me are doing their jobs. And I care if they're doing their jobs well. And I care if they're doing their jobs efficiently and completely in a way that I need them to do it because that is what's going to help our company make the most money it can. That is the key. Because when you are managing people, your style will not be attractive to every person. Because if everyone likes you and you are management, you're doing it wrong. It is not a popularity contest. It is an efficiency contest. So don't worry about convincing colleagues to support your management style. Convince them to support your plan. And the way you communicate your plan is your style. And if you don't communicate your plan clearly, it means you have not fully vetted your own style. When new employees come to the company, guess where they're going to get their information from? Just guess. What would be your guess when you join a company? Do you get information from your boss or do you get it from your coworkers? You get it from your coworkers, of course. Hey, what's it like working for that guy? Hey, what's it like being here? I've heard a lot of things about that Samson guy, but what's it like here? Man, that guy, he's impossible. Can't stand him. God, we love him. We feel like family here. I never bothered to care what people said about me when they were telling their coworkers, their new employees about my management style. What I cared is that they understood the rules of engagement from the employees to whom they spoke. And the rules of engagement are, you may like David, you may love David, you may hate David, but one thing you will get from David is consistency. And the consistency is all he asks for from us. D-Y-J. Do your job. If you go work at a place and your colleagues, your new colleagues tell you what they want us to do here is to do our jobs, you are in a good place. Hey, we've got great Christmas parties. That's a nice bonus. Hey, we get good bonuses at the end of the year. That's nice. Hey, the desk chairs are super comfy and the break room, oy vey, we have a ping pong table. That's nice. We get to go on the road and stay at good hotels and sometimes fly business. Now that's great. But is that what you're looking for when you're working at a company? If I'm managing people and that's what their focus is, I have failed. I want people in the back of their mind to appreciate the atmosphere that I've created in my company. I want people in the back of their mind to understand why I make the decisions I do because I'm willing to communicate to them why I do. My management style is to let people know exactly why I'm doing what I'm doing. And if you don't like it, that's fine. Convince me I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong after the fact, then I'll say to you, you were right. But whether you agree or disagree, when I'm your manager, we're going to do it my way. When I make the decision to go left at a fork in the road, you are coming left with me because if you go right, you might as well keep going and you're not going to find me until you go all the way around the world. And by that time, your job will be filled by someone else. When you join a new company, you can spend as much time as you want learning the management style from your boss. You can spend as much time as you want gossiping with your coworkers about office politics. But my advice to you is when you start a new company, when you are an employee at a new company, start off 
with the three letters that we've talked about right now. Do your job. Next question. Having worked in a family business, I was once accused of benefiting from nepotism. Have you ever had a similar experience while working for family and how did it affect you? Here we go. You asked for it. You're getting it. My experience with nepotism goes back to 1999 when my stepfather, Jeffrey Laurie, asked me to help him buy the Montreal Expos for him. And he asked me to be helpful, and I was. He then asked me to help running the team, run the team, which I did. And I knew everybody in Montreal looked at me as le fils, the son de la gérante, the son of the owner. Young, I was 31 at the time, wet behind the ears, no experience, didn't know anything about baseball, didn't know anything about Montreal. What is he doing here and how quickly can we get rid of him? When I started the Montreal Expos with the Montreal Expos, I wanted to overcome that view that people had in the community and that view that people had in the office and let them know that while I got the job because of who I was, I wasn't going to keep the job because of who I am. And I had to prove myself. And I was dumb enough to think that 7 a.m. meetings were the way to prove myself. Work long versus working efficiently. Eyewash is what I came to call it, what I did when I was younger. Eyewash is when you do something just for the attention. Eyewash is when you do something because you want other people to see what you're doing. Those people who are running and they're running as fast as they can, and then they stop and drop and give you 20 push-ups right in front of people during a marathon, eyewash. People who park their car, Costanza-like, they park it and leave it overnight so people think they're the first one in and the last one out, eyewash. People who eat at their desk, eyewash. Eyewash is something that I'm familiar with. I used to do it. And then I learned that it was not helping me run a team. It was not helping me gain respect. It wasn't helping me get my work done by any stretch. And I stopped caring very quickly about people thinking that I was doing something when I wasn't. And I would tell people exactly what I was doing when I was doing it. And I was totally fine with that. People who accuse you of benefiting from nepotism, you can explain to them the following, which I explain to people all the time. Connections get you in the door. They don't keep you in the door. You think that someone who owns a multi-hundred million working toward a billion-dollar asset is going to have a family member run it if that family member is not capable of doing it? You think people who work for the family don't respect the son of the owner if the son of the owner does a good job, if the son of the owner doesn't walk around like he owns the place, if the son of the owner doesn't try to big league everyone, I was very careful not to do any of those things. I wanted to be one of them, not one of him. I wanted people to understand that I was the boss, but I had a boss too, just like they do. I wanted people to understand that I worked and fought for my job every day the way they have to, with no relation to the owner. I wanted people to understand that my care of the company was also manifested through my care of the employees so that they would know that I needed them to succeed, that I didn't come in thinking I didn't need anyone. 
I didn't need the institutional knowledge that the Marlins employees and the Expos employees had when I joined those firms. I needed the institutional knowledge because that would help me be better at my job. I remember the feeling of walking into my first owner's meeting as the son of Jeffrey. I was always thankful I had a different last name because I thought, hey, maybe people don't know. But of course, they all did. He referred to me as his son. Hard to avoid that. It always made me feel good, but nervous. Are people talking behind my back? Do I deserve to be in this chair? Do I deserve to be in this room? The amount of self-doubt that creeps into your head when you are where you are because you think that you're there only because you are the beneficiary of nepotism, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. The day I started convincing myself that I deserve to be in the chair is the day that I became more comfortable and embraced the fact that I got to sit in the chair because of nepotism. Until I was comfortable in the chair and confident in my ability to be in the chair, the concept of nepotism haunted me. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. And as I got older and looked around the room, looked at businesses, looked at the number of and son businesses, take a look next time when you're driving at the number of fathers and sons and mothers and sons and mothers and daughters and mothers and sons and fathers and daughters. Take a look at the number of families who work together. Way more than you would think. You're dealing with nepotism right now. Guess what? People accuse you of benefiting from nepotism. You know what you do when they accuse you? You're goddamn right I benefited from it. And I hope that my kids get to benefit from it too. And I hope that my kids are smart enough that once they benefit from it, that they're able to keep their foot and then get their entire body into the door. When someone accuses you of benefiting from nepotism, own it, lean into it. Don't try to come up with some lame excuse. Oh, yeah, but I, I don't really work for him. Or, oh, no, I had to apply like everybody else. Or, oh, no, we don't really talk outside the office. Oh, no, it's just a business relationship. Don't make excuses. They make you seem petty and embarrassed and ashamed. People are looking for that weakness. People accuse other people of benefiting from either nepotism or connections or any other sorts of advantage because they want to feel better about themselves for not succeeding. They want to not have to look to whether you're succeeding or not. They just want to say, oh, you can't be good because you have the same family name or you are the son. When someone says, how did you or do you benefit from nepotism? You say, no, but the company sure does. You want to know how it affects me and what I did to try to have separation of church and state. Pretty simple, actually. When there was business to discuss with Jeffrey Loria, I said there's business to discuss. When there's family issues to discuss, I said there are family issues to discuss and never the twain shall meet. He was not allowed to talk business with me when we were having family talks. I was not allowed to talk business with him when we were having family talks. And the same went for business talks. Don't sit down with me in a meeting and in the middle of a meeting say, hey, how is my grandchild? Don't do that. There's plenty of time that we can talk family. When we are within the four walls and baseball, it's within 365 walls of baseball. We got into a rhythm where we would start each phone call with business, family. We were setting the parameters. 
And when you do that and people see that you're doing that, it makes them more understanding of the difference between family and business. If you're in a meeting with your family member, a big meeting, and you start talking about the Shabbat dinner you had or the trip you'd made to Disneyland, it's going to make other people not feel included. It's going to make the other employees feel like they have no voice, that they're not a part of the team, and then your business will suffer. That's why separation is so, so very important. But mentally, there is no question that it impacted me. The feeling of having to puff my chest out, like Jim Carrey, if you're watching this on the Nothing Personal YouTube channel, when he blow through his thumb and his chest would expand. I can't think of that movie, Coca, can you? There's definitely a movie where Jim Carrey does that and his chest, oh, I bet you it's Bruce Almighty. I think it's Bruce Almighty, Coca. That's a funny one. That's not nepotism, that's just the God complex. You ask me if I have a God complex, I am God. That is one of the great monologues in movies. Go watch it. Alec Baldwin in a movie called with Nicole Kidman and uh, Bill Pullman. <sighs> Unbelievable. Malice. Thank you. I just got that. That was not Coca. That was all me. I went through the Rolodex in my head and I came up with Malice. Check out the God Complex on YouTube. Malice, Alec Baldwin. It is quite something. I don't know why I was just puffing out my chest and why I was thinking about malice. I have no idea. Where are we, Coca? Oh, impact, effect. You want to talk about anxiety? You want to talk about the reality of anxiety that I had and some of the issues I've had? Nepotism was certainly a part of that, trying to get comfortable in my own skin, trying to believe that I belonged, trying to prove to myself that I belonged. The impact it can have on you is significant. It leads to stomach aches. It leads to acid reflux. It leads to an unbelievable amount of work being done by me. When my eyewash became actual effectiveness, that is when it stopped affecting me more. When I realized that I had skills and ability. The question for you is, when you are benefiting from nepotism, do you have the guts to walk away? I never walked away in 18 years because I kept negotiating new contracts because I got really good at what I was doing. Were there things I wasn't good at? You're damn right. But you know what I got really good at? Knowing what I was good at and what I wasn't good at. If you're going to be the benefit, benefactor of nepotism, there's a little skill you need to have. Make sure you know what you know and you know what you don't know. And don't pretend that you know what you don't know because you're not going to fool anybody. And when you try to fool people who work with you, when you are the beneficiary of nepotism, you are going to lose their respect so fast that you will not have time to gain it back. It takes one minute to lose and a lifetime, really a calendar year, to get it back. Don't be ashamed. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. 
Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Okay. How we doing? We good, Coca? Oh, I want to talk to Samson. And I want to talk to your former mailroom intern, Alex Anthopoulos. It's true, Alex Anthopoulos, who is the current president of baseball ops for the Atlanta Braves, started with the Expos. That is true. Baby Vlad can only be behind Otani in mid-year AL MVP rankings, and he's sure making Toronto's Shapiro Adams Brain Trust look like they have the Baby Jays rebuild well in hand. But he was not their genius. He was Alex's parting gift to the franchise before Shapiro, in his first offseason as president, showed Alex the exit for former team GMs. Business execs often say the number one key to success is hiring and retaining great people. I've heard you make similar comments from your time as a team president. It is true. Hiring matters. Retaining matters. It is way easier to retain someone good than to hire someone good. It's the same that goes for sales. It's way easier to keep your client than to get a new client. So spend the time to keep your client. From the outside looking in, Alex was one of the most well-regarded GMs in the league and continued to be after his exit from the Jays. He helped the Dodgers to a World Series appearance, and he's leading the Braves' recent rebuild. So what gives? Sorry. What gives? Is it really as simple as Alex wasn't Mark Shapiro's guy? Same as Mike Hill wasn't Jeter's guy? How did their actions reconcile with the hire and retain great people graduation speech? That's a long question, but thank you for asking it. I want to be clear how baseball works. Do you remember on a previous show, I talked a little bit about taking some of the mystery away from GMs and other such positions. It's a business. There's CFOs, there's treasurers, there's people in sales, there's people in marketing, there's people on the baseball side, scouts, people in development. That are various jobs, but guess what? Every one of you can do every one of those jobs. Not all of you will have the opportunity to, but if given the opportunity and you are good at what you do and understand what makes you good at what you do, you can do any of those jobs. Hiring and retaining great people in baseball is about hiring and retaining great people. It has nothing to do with where they were what they've done. Any GM who takes credit for a World Series on his own is a GM I don't want to be a part of. I don't want to talk to. I don't want to have working with me because I know what GMs do and I know how much GMs rely on their scouts, their development people to tell them about players. They rely on their people who are on the road every day, scouting high schools, colleges, minor leagues. You think that when GMs make trades for prospects, the GMs, they go down for eyewash. They go down and look at the minor leaguers and say, oh, that guy looks good. 
There are people who live with Vlad every day as a minor leaguer, and those are the people you're supposed to listen to as to when he's ready. You're the one who takes care of the money side of it. You're the one who's leading. Have you ever heard the expression, leaders do less? Workers do way more day-to-day than leaders do. Our job is to referee conflict, to try to manage people, to try to lead people, to try to explain the vision to people, and then to find the people to execute the vision that you've laid out. It is very common in every business when there is a change of ownership that the owner brings in his or her own people. It is very common in every business when someone takes over your local video store. God, that made me feel old. Is there a blockbuster where you live? When someone takes over your local Wawa, that they'll retain some of the people who work there, but they'll have new managers soon enough and new people at the cashier soon enough. When there's a new head at a big Fortune 500 company, there's going to be turnover. People are comfortable with who they know and skills are applicable across industries. I'm not saying that me running a baseball team means that I can go work on the line at GM. I don't know how to work and build a car, but I can tell you I can run GM because I'd learn the same way that I learned about baseball. I didn't know anything about baseball when I started in baseball. I knew how to manage people and run a business. People want to be around people they're comfortable with because they can train them to learn the skills that are needed. But what they're really looking for, the number one attribute is loyalty. And loyalty is something that is earned over time. Loyalty, it's great. I love this when people are switching teams and they'd walk into my office applying to be an AGM or a GM or a manager or a scout or anything. We'll be loyal to you. I'll be loyal to you from the beginning. I know that's not true. They know that's not true. So don't say it. When you are interviewing somewhere, by the way, do not talk about loyalty. You show loyalty. You don't talk about it. Loyalty comes with time. It comes with observation. It comes with action, not with words. It is very normal for people to want their own guys. Why did Derek Jeter get rid of everyone from the old Marlins? He's saying he did it because everything we did was wrong. The stadium stunk, the team stunk, the minor league system stunk, the promotion stunk, the TV deal, everything was bad. He's not doing it any better than I'm doing. He's just doing it with people he wants to do it with, people who he likes to surround himself with. And I think that's exactly how he should do it. You don't need to MF the people who came before you when you're making changes. You just have to be honest and say, I want people around me who are my people, loyal to me. Do you know Stu Sturmer, when he took over the Devil Rays or the Rays, whatever they were when he took them over, I think they were the Devil Rays and then became the Rays under his ownership. He was a Wall Street guy. He brought in a bunch of Wall Street guys. You think Steve Cohen of the Mets isn't bringing in Wall Street people to advise him and help him? The people he works with, the people he knows, people he's been in the trenches with. We're not splitting the atom in baseball. We're not curing cancer. We're running a business. We're running a baseball team for crying out loud. It really is as simple as Alex wasn't Mark's guy. And that is okay. Too many people believe that when you bring in your own people, you're doing it out of insecurity. 
That's not why I wanted my people around. I wanted my people around because I wanted to know that the people who were around are people who knew how to do the job that I needed them to do. I let new people into the circle, hired new people, built a relationship. You have to have people all the way up the slope. Start, remember, do you remember a nothing personal episode where we talked about sales and baseball, where the first step is actually knowing you have a baseball team in your community. And the last step is buying full season ticket holders. And you have to have people all the way up and down that chain, continuing to proceed up the chain because people fall off the chain, but you need a pipeline. People call it a pipeline. You have to have a pipeline of loyalty as well. There's people who are loyal all the way to their core to you. And there's people who are developing loyalty. The loyalty pipeline is critical to have it full because life happens, things happen, people move on, changes get made, but you need people around you who are building their loyalty toward you. Because if you are going to be an effective manager or an effective president, a GM, just an effective employer, loyalty is going to be one of the number one most important currency. I never gave a graduation speech about hiring and retaining great people. I did say it's easier to retain than it is to hire. I did say that in baseball, people tend to switch when new owners come because new owners very simply want to be different. They want to have their people embrace it. That's why I always tell you when you're working in a company, choose the right horse. When there's internal politics, remember we talked about this on a previous show, when there's internal politics and you're going to choose sides, you better choose wisely because if you don't, you're going to be gone. But if you choose wisely, you're building yourself and moving up the loyalty slope. Thank you. All right, I got a good one here. Seems to me it's horse hockey. I, I, by the, if you're going to put horse hockey in your question, I'm going to address it. Just telling you that right now. Actually, I'm not, I'm not promising. What if I get like Coco? What if they send me like 70 horse hockey questions right now? It's horse hockey. Horse hockey comes from Colonel Sherman Potter on MASH. When you get upset, you'd say, horse hockey. Seems to me it's horse hockey with the truth being something closer to powerful people masking their own insecurities by wanting to be surrounded with people who won't threaten that power. A tale as old as medieval kings. What do you say? I like that. I really do like that question. I want to talk about that a little bit, if you don't mind. I want to talk about insecurity. I want to talk about power. I want to talk about you as listeners to Nothing Personal. I want to talk about me as the host and Coca and the waters that we navigate. One of the great misunderstandings that people have when they are in a position of power is that they believe that to be more powerful, it is directly related to people knowing that you've got that power. There's a great sense that people have when they're in a position of power that they need to be accepted and liked and understood. There's a great feeling that some people in power have that holding on to the power is more important than using the power. I don't want to be around people and I was never the person who took the power and was more concerned about keeping it than using it. I loved using my power to effectuate change. 
I loved using my power to let people know what we could all accomplish together and what doors I could open for people. I let people know and love to let people know with my power why I wanted things done the way they were being done, why I wanted to accomplish what I wanted to accomplish. I loved people around me when I had power over them to want to be me, to want to have my job. I don't like psychophants. I don't like people who genuflect in my general direction for no reason. Let me at least give you a reason. I don't want yes people around because that would just mean I'm totally insecure. That would just mean that I am so interested in keeping my power that I don't even understand how to use it to make the company better or to make the world better. It's so easy to spot, isn't it? Those people who are on power trips, that's what we call them. He's on a power trip. He's power hungry. Power hungry people, what are they hungry for? More power. People on a power trip, where are they going? They're going to a place where they can have more power and keep the power they have for longer. Power trips are pejorative. Power hungry people are people who are ineffective, inefficient, and not those who are proper leaders. The best leaders, the most powerful leaders are those people who have the most powerful followers, the people who have the most passionate followers, the people who have the most loyal followers. When you are a power hungry leader, when you are on a power trip, guess what? No one wants to do anything for you. No one wants to follow you anywhere. And you know what happens after that? You end up having less power because you can't make progress in your company. You can't accomplish anything. So here is my suggestion to you. When you ask about surrounding yourself with people who threaten your power, ask yourself why people don't surround themselves with people who threaten their power. Look around at people with power in your life and ask yourself, what are they doing with their power? Try to put them in a category of power hungry, power trip, or power full. Try to remember and think about what you do for people when you consider them to be power hungry on a power trip or simply powerful. Try to learn the things they are doing, which manifest itself in being powerful on a power trip or power hungry. And then decide for yourself which you prefer. If you don't prefer people who are powerful to people who are on a power trip, guess what that means? You're looking for the same power trip because you think the power trip is the end game. If you look at people who are power hungry and you say, I can relate to that, I want that, I want to be that person, I want to follow that person, what does that say about you? It means that you're looking for your own power trip. Those trips end up behind the people who are supposed to be following you to begin with. People who are on power trips and power hungry at the end of the day have the least power of anyone you've come across. And it's so blatantly obvious to everyone but them. And if it's not obvious to you, it means that you are them. I appreciate this mailbag episode. I appreciate all the questions that you've asked me. You know that it's just business. This is nothing personal. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. 
They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.